Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and today I will be continuing with this trade series and looking at the trade relationship between Mexico and the US in the 21st century up until inauguration of President Donald Trump in 2017. We know from last week's episode that countries engage in trade because of specialization of labor and to be able to consume more in the most efficient way. These are the fundamental reasons why NAFTA was implemented by Mexico, the United States and Canada back in 1994. Now in 2018, the agreement is being renegotiated, which is in all honesty better than the original plan for the US to leave it completely in a Brexit-like fashion. Today I am going to look at why the US initially wanted to leave, but settled on reviewing the huge trade deal instead. NAFTA's immediate aim was to increase cross-border commerce in North America. Did it achieve that? Absolutely. Was it always equal and without consequence? No. In real terms, meaning the nominal amount has been adjusted for inflation, trade between the Americas has increased by 125.2% since 1993 as tariffs and other barriers to trade were reduced. In 2015, trade between the US and Mexico was worth $481.5 billion US dollars, and trade between the US and Canada totaled $518 billion US dollars. On top of this, Mexico and Canada have experienced the fastest growth in trade, and in the same year it was only equal to $34.3 billion US dollars, but is a 432.5% real increase since 1992. I have posted a table on the Cave Goblin Network website that shows the nominal and real growth in trade, comparing 1993 to 2015 among the three countries in the agreement, so check that out for a clear visual overview of the financial impacts. A key reason Trump wanted out of the agreement is manufacturing jobs. NAFTA's implementation has coincided with a 30% drop in manufacturing employment from 17.7 million jobs at the end of 1993 to just 12.3 million at the end of 2016. Of the manufacturing sector, the automotive industry is usually considered to be one of the most negatively impacted by opening up to Mexican competition. Economists note that manufacturing employment was already in decline before NAFTA was signed. Also, US tariff cuts on Mexican trade under NAFTA were implemented at roughly the same time as tariff cuts with other countries as the US entered the World Trade Organization in 1995. When China also joined the WTO in 2001, competition boomed. Many economists will argue that the US in fact lost more manufacturing jobs to China than it did to Mexico via the NAFTA. Now, jobs in the car manufacturing industry began to decline around the year 2000 as the agreement became well embedded in the North American economy. But much of the decline can also be attributed to automation in the US industries as companies have been able to increase output using more capital and less labor. Either way, all major American car makers now have factories south of the border as Mexico exports cheap labor to them. The global financial crisis of 2007 worsened the decline in jobs. So look, not all is to blame on the trade agreement here. In June 2009, American auto manufacturing employed just 623,000 people. This was the lowest employment figure the industry had ever seen. As the country recovered from the GFC, it has since risen to just 948,000 people, which is still 27% below its pre-NAFTA level. On the other hand, 
some economists argue that NAFTA actually helped American manufacturing industries, particularly the auto industry, become more competitive by developing supply chains. Before the agreement, most manufacturing would be done in America alone, while now companies' production straddle the border. The Hong Kong Institute for Monetary Research also found that a US import from Mexico, whether that be a car or whether that be clothing or anything else that's manufactured, still contains about 40% US content. So by supplying goods to turn into more goods across multiple countries and regions, US companies have been able to stay competitive with imports from other manufacturing countries like Japan and Korea. It is very likely that if the US did not have the ability to move lower wage jobs to Mexico, that the entire manufacturing industry would have been lost, which would have been disastrous. Even today, if America pulled out of the NAFTA completely shutting off trade, real income loss would occur. The average for the highest earning 10% of the US population would be a 4% loss to income, while the poorest 10% would suffer a 69% loss. This gap is so vast because the poorest of the population are the ones who benefit from the lower prices that international trade and competition brings. While originally they may have lost out due to layoffs and jobs moving south of the border, most commonly held by lower income people, now the threat is a cost of living that is 69% higher than their income can afford. And look, I'm sure a 4% loss in income hurts the rich as well, just maybe not to the same extent. And of course, we're talking about averages here. As for Mexico, sure, they do have a trade surplus with the US. They export more than they import, meaning that they have more income entering the country than leaving it. But as we know from last week, this isn't exactly distributed equally across Mexico. Growth in the nation has also stagnated around 0.9% on average in real terms since 1994. And economist Paul Krugman explains that just opening up to international trade isn't enough. Mexico has problems with infrastructure, with education, with corruption, and with politics. Unfortunately, the extra income earned was not suitably taxed and spent on growth-inducing reforms that it was originally intended to. Instead, Mexico pretty much just ended up exporting cheap labor to the US companies. If there was something in place that bound either country to use the income being generated to further develop, then the result would be much different. But there wasn't, And we live in a monetary-based world where companies are driven by the bottom line. And as we all know too well, politics and economics don't always agree. So abolishing the agreement would also threaten American businesses, great and small, that is now so dependent on the integrated economy of the North Americas. Across all countries, plants would close, prices would rise, competition would stiffen, jobs would disappear, and billions of dollars could potentially be lost if the agreement was disbanded because it's been around for over 20 years now so it's a huge reform that would change a lot of industry. So what should happen instead? Well I honestly think this goes beyond the NAFTA itself and into the territory of taxes and income redistribution. Perhaps not redistribution in the most commonly thought of way where you get an income if you're unable to work. That for starters doesn't seem politically viable in the US anyway but I'm definitely not against that myself. Rather, in this context, I am speaking about redistributing the income in the form of paid education and training. That would allow the people who had been laid off to learn a new skill that is relevant to the newer economy and contributes to growth, create some positive externalities and boost the multiplier effect. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out my externalities and pipeline episodes where I cover those theories. 
in Mexico do the same, but on a larger scale because the country is underdeveloped. Tax the income efficiently and use it to build infrastructure that develops the economy and pulls people out of poverty. Educate and train the labor force and encourage growth-stimulating behavior among businesses and individuals. Like I pointed out last week, international trade is not in itself a bad thing. It has a bad reputation right now, but it can be great if and when it is regulated to bring the most benefit to the widest population. On the whole, NAFTA has not been devastating. Trade has increased, growth has increased, just not as quickly as it was expected in Mexico, but the US has seen many benefits. People can enjoy lower prices, consume goods and services from other countries, and businesses can learn how to be more competitive in a global market and become more efficient overall. It's just that those who are disadvantaged from the agreement have felt it hard. Again, I believe that these issues are regulatory, not economic. If there was a model in place or a program in place that ensured that companies were taxed a certain portion of the savings they were making from trade that actually trained the people that they laid off, then perhaps they wouldn't have felt it as hard as they were and we could be in a different place with more educated and skilled workforces. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything Economics. Next week, I will be looking at how NAFTA has changed and particularly exploring the changes made to tariffs in the US this year. I know I haven't mentioned Canada a whole lot yet. They are part of the agreement and I will get to them because there's some pretty interesting stuff going on with their dairy industry. You can follow the show on Twitter at EveryEconomics or find the whole network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. Check out our website, cavegoblins.com, to hear some other fun shows about comedy and streaming. Out tomorrow is, as always, a hilarious episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. This week, Doug talked to Brett Skillen about Eric Andre, and honestly, it was so much fun to record. So let yourself laugh a little and check that out. Again, thanks for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes and set the show to auto-download. I am Talia Murdoch, and this has been Everything Economics.